Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. The iron did swim. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And I have to admit that uh, this lesson is kind of my own take on, on this. Uh, try to, kind of a practical lesson, I think. So I hope that uh, you enjoy it. But uh, again, we're working our way through Elijah and Elisha. Got a few more weeks to go. And last week in Sunday school, we looked at um, Naaman, the Syrian general, who the little maid was used of God to uh, bring, uh, cure his leprosy. And um, so today we move on to chapter 6, although we will go back to the second half of chapter 5 in, in a few weeks. We talk about Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, and uh, he's kind of an interesting, interesting character. Um, but chapter 6 in the book of 2 Kings, I've got some folks coming in, so I'll just hold on until they take a seat before we start reading. And um, just going to read verses uh, 1 through 7. At least I think they're coming in. <laughs> oh, we'll just get started. The Bible says, And the sons of the prophet said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there, where we, we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. And so he went with them, and when they came to Jordan... They cut down wood, but as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee, and he put out his hand, and took it. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you'd bless now the Sunday school uh, time, our Bible study of this particular text. We speak to our hearts, Lord, through your word and by your Holy Spirit. Again, we're thankful, as always, for your goodness to us. We're thankful for your mercy. We're thankful for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Kings chapter number 6. If you're coming in a little late, and uh, Ethan, I think, has handouts. If you haven't gotten one, he'll make sure that you, that you have one. All right. So just notice the introductory statement on my lesson this morning. The sons of the prophets, as you see, decided to engage in a building project to meet the needs of the ministry. So in verse 1, it says, the place where we dwell, it's too straight for us. In other words, uh, so it's a good thing, I suppose. It's a growing ministry. The sons of the prophets, I guess you could kind of liken it to a Bible college today, a place where these men were trained to uh, be used of the Lord. And uh, so they want to build a bigger uh, uh, space where they can come and, and learn the ministry. And that's always a good thing. But as I said on the, hand, on the introductory statement, both life and ministry is made up of building projects, both physically and speaking, uh, both physically speaking and spiritually speaking. I remember when I 
when we used to do uh, the opening exercises out, and, and the whole Sunday school would gather in the church uh, auditorium before we divide into classes, one of the songs that we would sometimes sing is that he's still working on me. And that's old Sunday school song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And um, that's true. It doesn't matter whether you're a little child in Sunday school or whether you're an adult. Uh, the reality is until we get to heaven and we stand in the presence of the Lord, he's still working on all of us, isn't he? And um, so that's a good thing because uh, we want him to be working on us. We want the Lord to be growing us and maturing us in the faith and, and uh, doing what, what he had, would do with us. He, he is the potter, Jeremiah said, and what are we? We are the, yeah, we're the clay. So he's working on us. Anyhow, the Bible gives detailed instructions regarding several building projects. And if you've read through the Bible, you've seen many times uh, different projects in the Bible where God had different men build different things. The ark, for instance, that's probably um, the first building project in the Bible. Uh, and so there were specifics to building the ark. And uh, for instance, the ark, um, it, was, it was shaped in cubits. So the ark was, uh, if you remember correctly, it was 300 cubits long. Everybody remember how big, of, how big a cubit is? How big is it? Yeah, I think it's about a foot and a half. So 300 cubits is 450 feet long. And um, then it was to be 50 feet wide and 50 cubits, I'm sorry, so that's 75 feet wide, and it was to be 30 cubits high. And, um, and then not only were, were the dimensions given in the building project that God gave to Noah, but then there were to be how many decks in the ark? Anybody remember how many decks in the ark? Three decks. And so that was given. How many windows were there to be in the ark? One window. How many doors in the ark? Huh? One door. So all of these specifics were given so that when Noah built the ark, he was to, to build them specifically to God's instruction. And, uh, and then God gave other instruction as well with the ark. I've always thought, um, you know, the job of play, putting the pitch uh, on the, what kind of wood? Gopher wood. But the, the, the job of putting the pitch on the ark was about the most probably unexciting job there possibly could have been. I mean, just figure, they were, then they were to put the pitch on the inside and on the outside, and just think about the square footage. So you got 450 feet long, all right, and then the 50 feet wide and the, 70, and the uh, uh, 30, 30 cubits, I should be, I should be saying, cubits, not feet. Just think of all that square footage. And they were to take this tar-like substance and they were to smear this on the uh, ark. And uh, that must have been an awfully boring job. I mean, can you imagine just slowly and painstakingly put that, that but that was the instructions of building the ark. They didn't have any gloves? You don't know, huh? I don't know if they had gloves or not. Maybe they did. Uh, but, but 
they had to put it on and, and, and to do that. But it was important because that's what would help keep the ark from taking on water and then sinking. So that was part of the, the instruction. So the point I'm making is God gives specific instructions with regards to building and in our lives. We're building our lives personally and then uh, we're building our lives corporately as a body of believers. We're, we're, building, we're building the church, his church, the local assembly. And he gives instruction how to do that. I think the next building project in the Bible uh, that I could think of was probably, I mean, major building project would be the tabernacle. And someone asked me, we had, we had dinner with our neighbors who have come to church a few times, and um, well, we had dinner with them the other night, and they want to know about our trip to Israel. And so they asked me, well, what was the, most ex the favorite place that you were at this time? Uh, when I went to Israel. And uh, so I shared with them, we went to, to Shiloh. And um, Shiloh is um, the, it was the, um, it was really the capital of Israel for the first 369 years that they were in Israel. But the top on Mount Shiloh there is where the tabernacle rested for all of that time. And it was really cool to be up there. There's a lot of remains. They're doing excavations up there. They're not specifically sure exactly where the tabernacle sat, but it's not a huge mountain. And so you walk around and you go through all the different excavation sites. And what was cool about it is you realize that somewhere you were walking where the tabernacle stood for 369 years. And, um, but there were specifics to building the tabernacle. So the, the walls around the tabernacle, if you read in the Old Testament, they were to be 15 feet high and they were made of boards so that the tabernacle, the walls that, that made the outside walls could be taken down and the tabernacle could be moved. And they were specific, uh, told specifically what type of, and they were overlaid with gold as well. And then, so those are the specifics. And then there's the specifics of building the furniture. And so there was the, the laver of water and the brazen altar as you entered into the tabernacle. And then the candlestick was, would be on one side, and on the other side would be um, the table of showbread. And then the, then the um, so that all had to be built. It's all part of the building project. And then, and then would be the altar of incense. And then there were two courts, the holy and the holy of holies. And then you went into the holy of holies. Inside the holy of holies was the, the, the mercy seat and the ark of the covenant. And the angels, they were told to build the two angels with wings over the, over the, the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat. And those were all specifics. And then the, the, the type of bad, the skins that were to be on the inside of it, that's all part of that building project. And so what was really cool about being on top of Shiloh is that you were walking at some point and at some place where the very Shekinah glory of God shone down. And uh, that's, pretty that's pretty awesome. And um, so that was pretty neat. But the point of all this was just like the ark in Noah's day, there was the tabernacle and all of the building that went on. And then probably the next big project would have been the, the temple 
and Jerusalem. And when you go to Israel, you go to the place where the temple was. And of course, the temple, the first temple was destroyed. And then during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the temple would be rebuilt. And uh, then there was the building project of the walls being rebuilt around Jerusalem. So all of these building projects, you see this throughout the Bible. And we're reminded of that. Um, but now look on your handout under the first paragraph there. So, Pete, so Jesus said this to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we're, we're reminded that what, we're, what we do as believers and the church, uh, this is God's building project. And just like with the other projects, there was material. Well, what's the material? What material is God using to build his church? What's the material that God's using? Huh? People. People. You and I, we are, the Bible says, we are lively stones. And um, we're reminded of that. So we're the building material. In Ephesians, when Paul's writing about the church, he said, And we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Now, I'm no expert in building by any means, but I do know this, that the cornerstone is an important stone when you're building a foundation. Amen? And in fact, this building here, uh, when you, if you notice on this side of this building, this building was built in um, 1890. So on this side of the building, you can see that they, I think that's granite that's there, that stone. I'm not sure if it's granite or not, but it's chiseled stone. And so they, they used it on this side, but if you've ever been down on this side of the building, it's just all, it's an old fieldstone foundation. And so, and then, of course, we live in New England. Like my house is, uh, except for one side, they must have replaced it at some time. My entire foundation is fieldstone, except the addition is not. But the old part is, is just fieldstone. And my house was built sometime right around when this building was built. So it's been there a long time. Um, so I guess they knew what they were doing when they built out a field stone. And, uh, but there was always a cornerstone. That's where they started. And, and again, I, I don't know a lot about building, but I know if you start on the cornerstone, you got to make sure it's, it plumbs straight this way and goes straight this way. And, because the foundation to a building, the foundation is pretty important. Amen? I mean, if the foundation isn't strong, then the whole building so take that to a more practical sense. So what's happening, uh, I was having this discussion with someone recently about the state of the family in America and uh, the problems um, that, that we see um, just in my lifetime. Um, now, when I, I graduated from Fairleigh Dickinson University and I was a sociology major and so we, that's what you do. You study all of these, the, the, the uh, sociology of, of urban living, sociology of religion, sociology of the family. And uh, I wasn't a Christian then when I, when I went to college. I was raised in a Christian home. 
So I had a good foundation, but I was not yet one of the lively stones as part of that foundation. But I remember sitting in all of my different classes, and I was very interested in that and uh, learning about these different things. And the foundation I got as a child in church and in Sunday school uh, with regards to what I learned, I just started to notice, even though I didn't really have a lot of interest in Christianity in those years. I had more interest in, unfortunately, kind of this living a party type of life. But I started listening and, and they would, they would, they would um, the professors would identify problems in different segments of the culture. And it just kept dawning on me. They keep taking a step back and these were truths. This was a problem, this was a problem, this was a problem. And then, that was, they would stop. And I just thought, I think probably it was the Lord speaking to my heart and just trying to draw me to him. I took another step back. I said, well, this is really an issue of people who have kind of rejected God and sin. And, the, and there's sin in their lives. And uh, so two points to that. If the family's foundation isn't strong, then the family's going to have issues. And I think and believe that every family, the cornerstone of every marriage and every family should be Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the key's the cornerstone. And then we're built upon that, upon his word. But it's the same with the culture today. We are having, I was having a discussion just before the Sunday school uh, this morning. Um, there was, there, there's a, there's a, I found this out from the man I buy wood from in Stanford, Vermont, that, that there's a big controversy going on in Stanford, Vermont right now. And that is that uh, they decided, the principal of the school there decided that it would be a good thing for uh, the students to go see a drag queen. Now for the life of me, I have no idea why any school board would want to even get involved in that kind of thing. You know it's going to create problems. But, and, you, and you're seeing it, you know, like all the time now in the news. If I was on a school board, even if I wasn't a Christian, I would think, who wants to get involved in that controversy? Because you know people are going to be upset. And the man I buy my wood from, he just decided that day to keep his kids home from school. He wasn't going to have, you know, they did send a letter home, da 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 da. But um, so before Sunday school, I was talking with. Uh, I was talking with Ginny about this a little bit, and, and she said, yeah, and they just introduced it, just introduced this an inch at a time. Oh, I said, no. I said, when, when my kids were in school, they probably, I, I, my kids never went to public school, but then they were, you know what, I'm going to say this, when, when you're about my age or a little younger, then they are introducing it an inch at a time. When my kids were in school, they were introducing it about a foot at a time. And now it's just get us a yard or more, just infiltrate. And we shouldn't be surprised because since the time, I remember reading just when I was just a young preacher about secular humanism and studying that and reading quotes from the 1940s and 50s that the secular humanists said, that we will make the public education system in America 
those classrooms will be our pulpits. And all of that has come true. Um, and that's how the culture is being, people are dealing with that today. But it's the foundation. If the foundation be destroyed, why does that verse go? I should have wrote that down. If the foundation be destroyed, I think the people perish. And, um, but that's where we're at today. But, but for you and I as believers, um, well, we understand that, but I think Pastor Ethan was kind of bringing this point the other night in Bible study on Wednesday night. Don't be, I mean, we, as, as citizens of the country, I suppose we can be disheartened, but on the other hand, God has placed us, especially where we all live here in, in the Northeast, really almost basically you could say at the heart of a mission field. And um, like Danielle and Micah and their family are, are, God is moving them to California. Well, that's the heart of the mission field. It's a liberal place. It's not an easy place. And um, many people from, you know, that are conservative are moving to places like South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, because they're, they're culturally, they're more conservative. But and that's fine if that's where God wants them to go. And, and um, I, I'm kind of getting off track here. I remember reading, how many of you remember a guy by the name of Pat Buchanan? Okay, Pat Buchanan was, he served, I think, in the first time he, in the Nixon administration. as a conservative commentator. I'm not even sure if he's still alive. But he wrote a book years ago. And basically he said, this is probably over 15 years ago, he said, what's going to happen, this is coming to pass too, what's going to happen in America is, Depending upon your ideology, you're going to move to different parts of the country. So if you're a conservative, you're going to move to the South because that's where more conservatives are. Or you're going to move, and he had little pockets. And if you look like up into Idaho, and, and if you're conservative and, and different places, and if you're liberal, you're, and that's true. That's what's happening. But, but you and I, you, what, what did I say? Huh? Huh? No, okay, they say something dumb or what? Could be. <laughs> but that's, but listen, here we are in, in liberal New England. And um, so you can be disheartened by that, or you can say, well, wait a minute, my light can, sh can shine brightly in a very dark place. Because we're, 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 not, we're here to be used of the Lord. We're here to be used and let our light shine. And the darker it is, the brighter the light, right? So don't, don't you know, get you know, down and gloomy and, and oh, no, the Lord's put you here for a reason. And um, so having said all of that, we're part of this building project that's taking place. So I want to give you a few of these things here with the time that we have left. So you notice here in the text in 2 Kings, they were felling a beam in verse 5, but, but as one was felling a beam. Well, they were just, they're, they're working. They're, they're involved in the work. Therefore, Paul would say in, in, in 1 Corinthians on your handout, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Jesus would say, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh 
when no man can work. So we're to be involved in the work, just like they were involved in the work here. They're, they're going to build this addition onto the, uh, the house of the prophets, a place for them to go and study about the things of God and, and learn about the things of God. They were felling a beam. They were getting ready to make this place. And so we're to be mindful. Are we engaged? Are we engaged in the work? Be engaged in the work, both personally and be engaged in the work corporately as we reach a very a, a world that's that's a dark world i was talking to someone else a few weeks ago about our the bus ministry and um and so you know i i said well it's kind of the whole thing's kind of switched around you know we used to be we ran the bus sundays and we'd have a lot of kids come in on, on sunday morning on the bus and now it seems wednesday night and um and so um, then I, I said this to someone too. I said, here's the reality. Three quarters of the kids that we pick up on Wednesday night, at least three quarters of them, they're not at home. They're not living. No, how, how would I say this? They're not where they normally live during the week on Sunday morning. You know why that is? They come from broken homes. And so they're are not in a home that they live in Monday through Friday. On the weekends, they go to live with the other parent. That's just the culture that we're living in today. So it just seems, um, and, I, and I was talking to Pastor Ethan yesterday about um, beginning of June to have another bus, to start and do another bus outreach and to, to kind of go back into the neighborhoods and hand out flyers and, and invite kids and and, you know, we have to do that every now and then. There's always kids who start to come and fall away. But by and large, the group of kids that we got last year to come, most of them still come and, and seem to enjoy coming on, on Wednesdays. And we're teaching them the Bible. And, and uh, yeah, we do give them a meal, and that's a nice thing to do. And uh, we, do have, we do play games with them, and that's a nice thing to do. But the point of all of it is we're teaching them about the Lord. And, uh, and that's why we do it. So we're felt a beam with regards to these young lives. We're just involved with that. And so whether it's a Wednesday night or Sunday or, or prayer, we have some of, some of you signed up to be um, prayer warriors with regards to the uh, Facebook ad that Ethan puts out. You're felling a beam. Some of you play instruments in the church or you sing. You're felling a beam. Uh, the teachers downstairs, they're felling a beam. They're just involved in the work. Um, so that's what they were doing. And that's what we should all somehow, what are we doing, you know, with regards to building the work and letting our, our light shine? But then it says here uh, in the text, the axe head fell into the water. Well, the axe head is no good unless it's on the end of the handle. On, on Easter, uh, after we had dinner, uh, my sons and some of the other young guys that were at Easter, they wanted to show off their manlyhood about splitting wood. Ethan had some wood there, and so there were two malls that were there. And they broke both of those malls. <laughs> so, so they have to get two new malls. And um, I would have done it myself, but I didn't want to show those young guys up, you know. So, yeah. and, and I've done it for so many years, you know. It's, I just, you know, those guys are rookies, if you ask me, so. And I would have done it, except both of my shoulders are shot. <laughs> but the axe head fell off. 
and it was in the water. So as I read that, I thought of Ecclesiastes 10.10 on the back of your handout. It says, if the iron be blunt and, and, and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. The iron be blunt. Now, it's a little different application. Obviously, this piece of iron is fallen into the water. But the, the idea is the same thing. If you've ever cut with a chainsaw, uh, like Ethan, when I was at his house, I was looking, he's got uh, about 15 cords of, of wood there that has to be cut up because he had some land that's been logged. And uh, up until just a few years ago, I used to buy a truckload of firewood, which is about seven and a half cords, and I would cut it myself. In fact, um, if I could cut, if, I, if there were two of us cutting and one, if you had three people, two guys cutting with chainsaws and another guy moving the wood, you could cut up about seven and a half cords of wood in about four to five hours if you, if you really went at it. But uh, unfortunately, uh, I'm not as young as I used to be, so I'm, you know, I, I buy it split now and deliver it. I do put it in myself. But I remember years ago, before I was even in the ministry, I was doing this, I got a load of wood and it was filled with dirt. You know, they had dragged it out in the spring. They usually log in the winter, drag it out on the snow so it doesn't get covered with mud. The wood that he's got on his property right now is covered with mud. So you know what happens when you hit that with a chainsaw? Almost immediately, the chainsaw is dull. And then if you've ever tried to cut log lengths with a dull chainsaw, forget it. In fact, every year when I would get my truck load in, I'd just go buy a new chain and start with a fresh chain. And I, I have files and I could put edges on it as well, but you, you'd use a fresh, because it was sharp, and it's a lot easier to do the work, and because um, you want the blade to be sharp. I mean, if you don't have a sharp blade, and that's why they have, you know, you've all seen the old-fashioned whetstones, right? That's how they used to, they would, they would take those stones, and they would go around and put the blade on there and sharpen that thing up, and the scriptures tell us that iron sharpeneth iron, but it fell, and um, it was of no use. Now it's in the water. And so we need to be careful, too, that um, we don't get to the place in our lives where we're not being used of the Lord. But then the next thing that happened, not only did he lose the edge here, but um, he said this, and he cried in verse 5 and said, Alas, Master, it was borrowed. Have you ever used something of somebody else's? You've borrowed it and then you broke it? or you lost it, that's a bad thing. And uh, about the only tool of all, and I don't have a lot of tools either, but the one tool that I would rarely lend out to someone would be my chainsaw. And because uh, I just didn't want it to get broken. In fact, there are times people ask to use my chainsaw. I said, well, I'll go cut it for you. And um, because for me, that chainsaw, I have a, a nice chainsaw. It's a pretty expensive chainsaw. But for me, that chainsaw was important because that's how I cut all my fuel for the winter. So I wanted to make sure that it was in working order. But you had to have an edge on it. And, uh, and I did lend it out a few times and, and got it back in good shape. And I was glad for that. And I've borrowed tools and things from people as well. And so you're always careful. You want to try to bring it back uh, in as good a shape as you got it. But here's, here's the practical point of this. 
Look on your handout under borrowed. First Chronicles 29.11. The setting for this is actually the building of the temple. And they were taking in an offering. In fact, if you read it, we don't have time to go back there and look at it. There's a word in chapter 29. The people gave willingly. You see the word willingly, willingly, willingly. In fact, the people gave so much to building the temple that they finally said, we have enough. We don't need any more. We've got enough. And, um, but the scriptures say this, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. And I think it's the next verse that says, both riches and honor come of thee. The point is this. Whatever gifts and talents and however you can be used of the Lord, it's all the Lord's. He's just lent it to you. It's all borrowed. Because he's the creator and the sustainer of all things. And so we just use what he's giving, given to us willingly. When Shelley and I were just young, we had two vehicles. When I met her, I had this really cool CJ5 Jeep. Soft top, soft doors. You could take, take the whole top off. You know, now they don't even make those soft doors any longer. And I met her on that, and she thought I was the coolest thing going. She, you know, those days are over. <laughs> and we would cruise around the mountains on that thing and uh, just have a great time. Um, and then we got married, and then she got pregnant, and uh, this is all Ethan's fault. And uh, so uh, it was just not very practical. And then actually by then I'd started a business, and I needed a van. And some of you have been here long enough, you remember that right down where car hardware is, was um, uh, the Ford dealership. So it's Scarfoni, Scarfoni Ford. And they had Dodges there as well. I don't know why I bought a Dodge, but I did. Took my Jeep in and I traded it in for a Dodge. Uh, I guess it would have been a six, eight passenger van. My Jeep was parked up front. They were reselling it. I would drive by and I tell you that those two headlights, it looked so sad sitting there. But we did it and we used it for the Lord. We began to pick people up. And uh, we would go over to Williamstown. And in fact, uh, we, would pick up, we would pick up your kids over in Williamstown on that van. And uh, we just began to use it for the Lord and pick people up and uh, here, there, and everywhere. And, and uh, because everything that we have is really of the Lord's. And so we just give it and use it for him. And so whether it's our possessions, our, our talents, it's all borrowed. And so we give it back to him. And so we'd be mindful of that. And then quickly as we're running out of time, so the man of God in verse 6 says, well, where, where fell it? Where did you lose this, this axe head? And um, on your handout, I have Revelation 2.5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the works first or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of the place 
except thou repent. That, you remember, that's the church in Ephesus. And they were commended of the Lord, but then they were also reminded that they had lost their first love. And um, they had forgotten, really, the call on their lives. The greatest commandment in the Bible is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. The second commandment is love thy neighbor as thyself. So the point of this is everything that we have has been borrowed of the Lord. Are you using what God's given you, the gifts and the talents for him? And if you're not, where did it fall? Where did you lose it? When did you stop? Because it happens to all of us. Um, and so they go to the place, and he showed him the place. He cuts down a stick. He casts the stick in thither, and the iron, which from a, um, that would be the right word, something point of view, iron just doesn't float, let's put it that way. It doesn't float. But with God, things, or with man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And it's true with us, too. Um, ah, Lord God, Jeremiah said, Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. So I finish with this. You and me, we're, we're just the axe head. It's all we are, just to be used of the Lord. And um, let's make sure that we're busy in the Lord's work. Uh, if the axe head falls, let's make sure we're mindful of the fact that everything's borrowed of the Lord. Uh, if, if we've stopped giving to the Lord, uh, uh, giving back to the Lord what's his in the first place, go to that place where it just kind of all fell apart. And uh, let the Lord speak to your heart. Let the Lord revive that area of your life and the iron will swim again and you'll be used of the Lord. And so it says, we finish up in the conclusion, it says here, um, therefore said he, verse 7, take it up to thee and he put out his hand and took it. So again, the conclusion, there'll be times that you and I uh, have been active and involved in the work of the Lord may find ourselves having lost the edge, dull and ineffective. We can either continue to depend upon our own strength and ability or allow the Spirit of God to wet the edge of our lives for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this lesson here with regards to Elisha. And the Lord, work in our lives. Help us to be active and useful for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.